0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It is good to be together on this Lord's Day to worship God as a family. I want you to know that once all of this is past us, Lord willing, I'm going to be giving out a lot of hugs. <laughs> the social distance things, I'm not doing so well with it. I took a lot of things for granted, especially being able to embrace my brethren and I'm going to do my best not to take that for granted ever again. I really miss that. If you have your Bible with you this morning, will you take it out and go over to the Gospel of Luke? Our study this morning is going to be coming from Luke, the 7th chapter. I want to start reading with verse number 11. Remember, our theme this year as a church family is experiencing the fullness of Christ. Remember, we want to learn more about Jesus this year. We want to grow closer to Jesus. We want to become more like him than ever before. That is the theme that our shepherds have given us this year as a church family, and hopefully our study this morning will help us come closer to achieving that goal. And so in Luke chapter 7 and verse 11, the Bible says this. It says, soon afterwards, he, referring to Jesus, went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, to the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin and the barriers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God, saying a great prophet has arisen among us. And God, God has visited his people. After you let these verses kind of just resonate in your heart for just a moment, I want to begin by just submitting submitting to you that what we find here is a very interesting episode in the ministry of Jesus. This is a very interesting episode in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, we need to understand that this is the only place where we find this episode. This episode, brothers and sisters, it's not found anywhere else in the gospel. It's not found in the gospel of Matthew. It's not found in the gospel of Mark. It's not found in the gospel of John. It is exclusively found here in Luke's gospel. And before we take a few minutes to, to really break down what's going on here, I think it is important that we, that we spend a few moments considering the overall context you see here in the overall context of this story, we need to understand that that Jesus is still somewhat very early in his ministry. We need to understand that his 3-year ministry has really just begun, but due to his preaching and his and his miraculous ability, he's already becoming very popular. He's already becoming very well known among the people of Galilee. In fact, on this particular occasion, notice how the Bible says in verse 11 that Jesus is actually traveling with a large crowd of people into a city called Nain. He's traveling into Nain with this huge entourage of people. In fact, as he travels into Nain, he actually runs right into something that that we've all probably been part of at various times in our lives, and that is he runs into a funeral. He runs into a funeral procession. He actually runs into a group of people who are currently traveling or on their way to bury a young man a young man that the Bible says is the only son of a widow, Jesus runs into a group of people who are going to bury a young man. But before this young man makes it to his final resting place, another thing to notice is how Jesus does something extraordinary, doesn't he? He, he does something that is totally amazing. He actually walks up to the coffin and he places his hands on the coffin and he says to the young man, arise, and, and the young man actually does that. The, the young man actually gets up. He is actually raised from the dead, and when the people saw this case of resurrection the scripture says they were totally amazed. They were totally stunned by what they witnessed. In fact, in verse number 16, the Bible says the people of Nain responded to this this miracle by doing three specific things. First, they were gripped with fear. They became... Afraid, They became terrified by the power of Jesus. I mean, if Jesus could actually do this, if Jesus actually had the power to do what they saw, what else did he have the power to do? What else did he have the power to do even to their little city of name? They became afraid of the power of Jesus. And they also began glorifying God. They also praised God and they gave God the glory for what had happened and they also referred to Jesus as a great prophet. They referred to him as a great worker of God and they said something very interesting. They said God has visited his people. God has visited His people. I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, that I particularly like that language, that language God has visited His people. In fact, that language that is used there in the text is actually actually used all throughout the Bible. For example, it is used in the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter chapter three. If you remember in Exodus chapter 3 and, and in verse number 6, when speaking to Moses through the burning bush, God told Moses that he knew about the sufferings of his people in the land of Egypt because he had visited them. God says that he had visited the Israelites when they were in Egyptian bondage. And then you go to the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, chapter, chapter 1 in verse number 6, there we learn that After a time of famine that took place in the land of Israel, remember Naomi, who was the mother-in-law of Ruth, she went and spent some time in the land of Moab. And after spending some time in the land of Moab, she said that she was able to go back to Israel because God had visited His people. That is, God had blessed His people. He had blessed them during a time of famine. And then in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 44, Jesus told the Jewish people that their city was going to be destroyed and the temple was going to be torn down because they had missed the day of their visitation. That is, that is they had failed to recognize when they had the Messiah among them. They rejected Jesus as the Son of God, and because they rejected Him or missed Him, the day of their visitation, Jesus says that God was going to destroy them as a nation. This language, God visiting his people, is found all throughout the Bible. The question, though, is, is what happened this time? What happened this time when God visited his people? What happened in name when God literally came among them. What lessons did the people of Nain learn about God on this occasion? And what lessons can we learn about God as we continue trying to experience the fullness of Christ? What did these people learn about God when he visited them on this occasion? Well, I want to suggest that these people learned at least three lessons about God on this occasion. First, when God visited them in the city of Nain on this occasion, one of the lessons they learned is they learned that God is compassionate. God is very compassionate towards the sorrows of His people. Go back to Luke chapter 7. Look again at verse number 12. After telling us about this time when Jesus was followed by a large crowd of people into the city of Nain, it says in verse 12, now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he felt what? He felt compassion for her. And he said to her, do not weep. In order for us to really appreciate the compassion being demonstrated by Jesus here, I think it is important that we really spend some time talking about the woman that is mentioned in this story. Brothers and sisters, we got to understand that the woman that is mentioned in this story, she's in a very pitiful situation. She's in a very sad situation. She is not well off at all at this time. She's not well off first because she's a widow. Because she is someone who has taken this journey that she is on before, only the first time she took this journey, it was to bury her husband, right? It was to bury the love of her life. This woman has already taken this path before, and now she's taken this path again, only this time as she takes this path, it's not her husband that's in the casket, it's her son in the casket. It's her son being the one who's going to be put in the ground. In fact, Luke specifically says that this was her only son. This was her only son. I want to suggest that language that Luke uses in the text, that's very interesting language. That is very interesting language. In fact, that language that Luke uses there literally means that this was her only begotten son. In other words, this was the only son she had In her life, this was the only son she ever had in her life. And keep in mind that this is during a time when you didn't have Social Security. You you didn't have pensions. You didn't have insurance policies. This is during a time when widows were not well taken care of during this time right here. This is the only person she had left to take care of her after the death of her husband. She's in a pitiful, very pitiful situation. And maybe that explains this large crowd that's with her, right? Going back to verse number 12, notice how the Bible says that a sizable crowd from the city of Nain was taking this journey with her. This sizable crowd had come out to comfort her and help her grieve during this time. This evidently was a pretty big funeral. This is a big funeral. In fact, verse 13 says that as the Lord came into contact with this funeral, he saw this widow, he noticed her, and he noticed her situation, and he felt compassion for her. He felt sympathy for her. He felt sorry for her. And he was driven in his spirit to do something to help her. Jesus felt compassion towards the problems of this woman. And my question is, is, is what about you this morning? What about you? I mean, as as you sit there in the pew this morning, are you going through something in your life? Are you currently facing some problem? Are you currently facing some terrible situation? Maybe something that that is beyond your control, that is really weighing you down. Does that describe you this morning? I'm willing to guess that 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 has to describe somebody here this morning. I'm willing to guess that there has to be somebody here Who has been doing their best to to try to worship God, you've been doing your best to sing these songs and take the Lord's Supper, and you're trying to listen carefully to the Word of God, you're doing your best to give God your all this morning, but deep down inside, you're, you're struggling with something. You're going through something. You're going through something that is really weighing you down. I'm pretty sure there's somebody here like that. Maybe it has to do with your job. I mean, due to this current pandemic we are experiencing, maybe you recently just lost your job. Maybe you recently got your hours cut. Maybe you're worried about losing your job at some point in the near future and and you're worried about how you're going to take care of your family. Maybe you're having problems in your family. Maybe all the stress that's going on in the world right right now, maybe that's doing something bad to your marriage right now. Maybe you're having some hard times in your marriage right now. Maybe you're having some problems with your kids right now. Maybe you're someone who has an unfaithful child. You have a child that has left the Lord, and that's keeping you up late at night because obviously you want your child to go to heaven. Maybe you're facing some health problem right now. Maybe you're worried about your health and what might happen to you if you contract this this disease that is out there. Maybe you're having some spiritual struggles. Maybe you're frustrated because you just keep losing battles with the devil. Maybe you're like the woman in this story and you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're someone who's feeling a great level of stress because you recently had to bury a spouse or a child or, or a friend. Maybe you're someone who's feeling some stress because you have somebody in your life who's very sick and, and maybe very soon they're about to die. I'm someone who's who's currently struggling with that right now in my life. do you have those kind of problems. Weighing you down even on this day? Well, if so. And I want you to know something. I want you to know that just like Jesus felt compassion towards the sufferings of this this widow in this story, he also feels compassion towards your sufferings. He also cares about you, and he cares about your problems. Isn't that what we learn in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6? Remember Peter said that we are to cast all of our anxieties on him, on God, on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for us. Even though he's so much bigger than us, right? Even though he's the creator, even though he's perfectly holy, even though we don't deserve his attention at all, the Bible says that God still looks upon us and he looks upon our problems with great concern. He cares about the struggles we face in this life. And the people of Nain learned that firsthand, didn't they? When God visited his people in Nain, people saw compassion from God. They saw great compassion from God, but not only did they see great compassion from God, a second thing they also saw is they also saw great power from God, didn't they? Oh, yes, they saw great power from God. Go back to the text. We go back to Luke chapter 7. This time we pick up with verse number 14 after looking upon this woman with compassion and telling her not to cry. In verse number 14 it says, and he came up and he touched the coffin and the barriers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Verse 15, the dead man sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. The dead man sat up and began to speak. I want you to notice how after seeing, after witnessing the grieving of this mom and after having compassion for her, notice how Jesus does a couple of things that you really are not supposed to do at funerals. He does a couple of things you're not supposed to do at funerals. First, he goes to this grieving woman who's going to bury her only son, and he tells her not to weep. He tells her not to cry. Look, I've gone to a lot of funerals in my life, Going to a lot of funerals, especially over the last 14 years since I've been full-time preaching the gospel, and one of the things I have learned is when you go to a funeral, one of, the, one of the main things, in fact, the main thing you're never supposed to tell somebody is you're not supposed to tell somebody who is grieving not to cry. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell somebody who's grieving not to weep. I mean, if there is any appropriate venue for weeping, it's at a funeral, right? Jesus told this woman not to cry at her son's own funeral. But that's not the only radical thing he does on this occasion. A second radical thing he also did is he also goes up and he touches the coffin of the woman's dead son. You know, I can remember when my uncle, who was like my brother because we were both raised by the same people, when he died of stomach cancer at 50 years old, about five years ago, one of the things that that we did not want is we did not want anyone who was not immediate family to see his body in the coffin that had been sickened by cancer. We didn't want anyone to even see his body, let alone touch his casket. Let me tell you something. If someone that we didn't give permission to touch that casket, my family was going to be very upset. My grandmother who raised me, she was going to be very upset. You're not supposed to touch the casket. Someone who's dead that you do not know, and yet that's exactly what Jesus does here, isn't it? Jesus goes up and he touches this casket, and I wonder, I wonder what the people of name must have thought when they saw Jesus do that. I wonder what the people of this city must have thought when they saw this complete stranger come up and actually touch the coffin of this dead man. Let me tell you something. I don't know exactly what the people must have thought when they saw this stranger come up and touch this coffin. But whatever they thought, it didn't last very long because once Jesus touched the coffin, the scripture says the dead man got up. The dead man was was raised. He was he was resurrected and even given back to his mother. Again, I've been I've been going to funerals. All my life. And I've never seen anything like that before. You ever seen anything like that before? You ever been to a funeral and seen the person in the coffin get up? You ever been to a funeral and seen the dead person raised? You know you haven't seen that. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've never seen that. I've never seen a dead person raised at a funeral. Now, I've seen a lot of things at funerals. I've seen crying. I've seen grieving. I've seen rituals. I've seen people have to get carried out. Because they couldn't control themselves. I've seen all kinds of things at funerals, brothers and sisters. But one thing I have never seen is I've never seen resurrection at a funeral. One thing I've never seen is I've never seen the dead person in the coffin come back to life. I've never seen that before. And I'm pretty sure you hadn't seen that before. But these people saw that in Luke chapter 7, didn't they? These people actually saw the dead man get up. And even start holding conversations. That's what the inspired record tells us. And I got to tell you, when I read that, I'm truly humbled. I'm truly amazed. I'm truly humbled and amazed by the power of Jesus. When I read this here in Luke 7, I I see that, that when it comes to Jesus, he doesn't just have power, but he has real power. He has amazing power. He has incredible power. He has the power to do things that I can't do and you can't do and that no person can do. He has the power to resurrect. He has the power to restore life. He has the power to reach into the realm of the dead and pull out his victims. That's the kind of power that Jesus has. And the question is, is that power impacting us? Is that power changing us? Is that power helping us understand who Jesus really is and what he has the power to do for us in our lives? For example, does his power to raise the dead help us understand that he has the power to to help us with our problems? He has the power to restore us when it comes to our problems. He has the power to restore a bad marriage, or to restore an unfaithful child, or to restore a a local church that, that may be having all kinds of problems. He has the power to restore us spiritually. He has the power to help us with anything we're going through in our lives. I mean, think about it. If Jesus has the power to raise the dead, I'm pretty sure there's no problem we face that he can't help us with, right? Does his power to raise the dead show us that he has the power to help us in our, in our lives? And, and does it also give us confidence and and his ability to raise us up one day? Does it also give us confidence when it comes to the inevitable? Does it also give us confidence when it comes to death? I mean, does Jesus' power that he exercised on this occasion show us that death is truly a temporary situation because he has the power to raise us up when he comes again? And what about when it comes to our greatest problem? What about when it comes to the problem of sin? What about when it comes to our sin disease or our sin virus? I mean, does the power exercised by Jesus here show us that Jesus also has the power to cure us of that whenever we get infected with it? It definitely should. I mean, isn't that what Brother Caleb read for us in John chapter twenty? Remember in John 20 and in verse number 30, John 20 and verse number 30, the Bible says, therefore, many other signs, signs, there's a reference to miracles, many other signs, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. We don't have all the miracles that Jesus did on this earth. We just have a few like the ones we're studying this morning. And so why do we have these? Well, verse 31, these have been written, these have been recorded, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Notice how here we see very clearly the purpose for the miracles of Jesus. Here we see why he raised the dead, why he healed lepers, why he cast demons out of people, why he calmed terrible storms and gave gave sight to the blind. The primary reason why Jesus did that kind of stuff, brothers and sisters, was to provide us with evidence, sufficient evidence, to believe in his identity, to believe that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that he and only he has the power to cure us of our sin sickness. That's why Jesus exercised his great power on the earth and the people of Nain. They witnessed that power firsthand, didn't they? When God visited his people on this occasion, the people saw compassion. And they saw power from God himself. But then the third and final thing these people saw is they also saw something that needed to be shared. Go back to Luke chapter 7 one more time, and we're going to get ready to wrap up our lesson. Let's go back to verse number 16, Luke 7 verse 16 after Jesus raised this dead man at his own funeral. The Bible says in verse 16, fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Now look at verse 17. This report concerning him went out all over Judea. (laughs) And in all the surrounding district. I want you to notice how after these people saw what Jesus did, after they saw Jesus raise this dead man at his own funeral, the Bible says they went out and they started sharing what they had saw. The Bible says this news went out over all Judea and over all the surrounding district. I mean, the people were so excited and impressed with the power of Jesus. They couldn't keep their mouths shut about it. They had to get the word out as fast as they could. They had to get this information out about the power and the grace and the compassion of God. They couldn't keep quiet about the power of, of Jesus. And you know, that really shouldn't surprise us, brothers and sisters. I mean, think about it, in our everyday lives, whenever we experience something that's that's very exciting to us and very impressive to us, we can't keep quiet about that, right? We can't keep our mouths shut about that. We can't keep quiet when we, when we see a, 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 a movie that really impresses us. We can't keep quiet about the food at a, at a restaurant that we really like. We can't keep quiet when, when it comes to, to our children, right? You know, I, I remember how both times when my wife found out she was pregnant, I got so excited about that that I couldn't wait three seconds before I was on Facebook, and I was on the phone calling everybody, and I couldn't even wait till church came so I could tell everybody in the church. I I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to share the great news about my blessings from God. We all understand that, don't we? We, we all know what it's like to be so excited about some information that you got to share it with as many people as possible. The question is, is what about Jesus? What about the power of Jesus? I mean, how impressed are we with the power of Jesus? I want to suggest that if we're really impressed with Jesus, If we're really thankful for what Jesus has done for us at Calvary, then we will do something in response. We will open our mouths and tell other people about him, right? We won't be able to contain ourselves when it comes to telling people about what he has done for us and what he can do for them. We will do that even in uncertain and difficult times like this. Even in a time when most people are isolated and locked down in their homes, if we're really impressed with Jesus like we say we are, we're going to find a way to continue getting the good news out about him. We're going to continue to give hope to the world by letting people know that Jesus has something to offer them that will get them to a place where there is no disease and sickness. We will continue to spread the message of Jesus, and we'll do that by all of these, these, these vast arrays of blessings that God has given us in the 21st century. We'll do that through our social media pages. We'll do that by inviting people to check out our our website. And if we are happening to interact with with people in our daily lives in some kind of way, we'll still tell them about Jesus and and what he has to offer them. We'll continue to do that no matter what's going on in our culture. You see, these people, they were so impressed with the power of Jesus that they had to tell as many people as they could. And we got to be like them, wouldn't you agree? we got to make sure that even in difficult times like this we don't lose our evangelistic spirit we got to make sure that we understand that even though restaurants are shut down and even though a lot of foreign travel is being shut down and even though sporting events are being short shut down that doesn't mean that the gospel spreading the gospel should be shut down that doesn't mean that telling people about Jesus should be shut down. I don't care what's going on in our world right now. As the people of God, we got to continue shining our lights and telling people about Jesus because as long as this world continues to stand, the gospel truth will always be that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And so the people of Nain were right. They were right on this occasion during the middle of a funeral God visited his people. God literally blessed his people. God literally came among his people. God literally changed the lives of his people forever. The question is, has he changed you? Has the power of Jesus changed you? If not, why not? Why haven't you yet giving your life to Jesus. I mean, what deal is the devil making with you that you're willing to continue putting off being a servant of his? Maybe there's someone here this morning and you've been putting off being impressed by the power of Jesus. You've been putting off putting on Jesus through through baptism. If that describes you, I hope you can open your eyes and look around and see that this world is fading. This world has nothing good to offer you. The only thing of substance, the only one who can truly bless you and help you in your life and give you a life of purpose and meaning is Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. And so if there's someone here this morning who needs to give your life to him for the first time or if you need to come back to him because you've wandered away, we're going to sing a song of invitation this morning and we're going to invite you to come to him right here and right now as we stand and we sing together.